And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just Something I've Noticed. There's a lot more yawning these days. Have you noticed that? Yeah. And the bad thing about yawning, it's contagious. Now, I'm not a scientist, but I do know that's true. You see somebody else yawn, all of a sudden, you got to yawn. Do you know what helps to curtail the yawning? How about a great night's rest at Motel 6? Book online at motel6.com. Use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a price you will love when you use the code CP Red Eye. That's the letters CP Red Eye, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel 6 and help curtail the yawning. That's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. This is Red Eye Radio. All across the USA and around the planet, we are Red Eye Radio. We is Eric over there, Gary here. Harley, his last name, McNamara, mine. Download our Red Eye Radio app today and listen when and where you want if you can't listen live overnight. All right, the best quote to come from all this banking mess yeah. was from Barney Frank. All right. He uh, was asked by the, uh, well, he was, uh, the Financial Times was uh, asking him why he was on the board of directors of Signature Bank. Mm-hmm. I need to make some money, was his quote. <laughs> well, he was blunt about it. He said he had no regrets over his role on Signature Bank's uh, board of directors. Well, he had no problem with his role in the in the mortgage meltdown of 2008. No, I, I don't know why it's a surprise. When you and I talked about it, I brought it up the other night that he's on the board of, uh, for Signature Bank. And of course he is. Do people actually believe that they believe what they're promoting when they're lawmakers? No. I just And the other one. half of uh, Dodd-Frank went to the MPAA and basically, uh, you know, went into Hollywood and for a long time and then retired from that and went on to a law firm in D.C., do they walk the walk? No. No. I mean, this was the... Think about going back to the subprime meltdown and, and the very beginnings of all of that. Well, we, we don't like these banks and the banks and banks and banks. He's on the board. <laughs> <laughs> Now, my question is, <laughs> who are the people at Signature that said, you know, who we need is Barney Frank. Barney Frank. It's, you know? That, that, that should have been a warning sign right there. That's my question. 
Who's on the board? Of, I, I need to ask. Uh, I have money invested in this bank. Please, who's on the board? Barney Frank. Barney Frank. No, really. Yeah, no, seriously. Who's on seriously. the board? Yeah. Barney Frank. What? Yeah. Okay, find me another bank. Seriously, exactly. no, I, seriously, I would probably say that. <laughs> what? I'm out of here. That would be not, not, the, not the fear of a collapse of the bank, but th- just that fact would have me taking my money out of the bank. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have an account there, but well, I would have to question their judgment immediately. Exactly, based on what he did in the what he said and did in the past uh, during the the mortgage meltdown. Yeah. And then denying, denying what was clearly on video. Yeah. It existed. Yep. That he said, no, 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 we need to be doing more of these loans. Yeah. And then later on said, well, no, I thought I, I wasn't trying to get people in homes. I think people should rent. What? The, the day he said about? that on CNBC. Yeah. They had so many phone calls that shut down their. Their switchboard, their 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 phones were just inundated. I don't know if they still have a. But you look at that resume alone. I don't think it's the 1930s. But you look at that resume alone. Okay, who do we want our board of directors? Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy that advocated the policy for the mortgage meltdown yeah. will give confidence to people who wish to invest in our bank. Right. I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah, that's a no. Can you find someone else? Is there anyone else? Anyone else? I mean, it's really, if you think about it, that makes it kind of sad that Bernie Madoff is gone. <laughs> you couldn't find anybody else? It's just really, you know, a, but but that is telling, though, of, of, first of all, the hypocrisy with Democrats, but that's nothing new. But also the decision-making at some banks. I mean, now we're learning more and more that Okay, hold on a second. Uh, did they actually know what they were doing? Mm-hmm. Were there was there a process in place, uh, it, which includes hiring the right people? Had they ever been in the uh, financial industry before? Well, you know, it goes <laughs> back to the conversation we had with John Taffer and and Bar Rescue and the whole thing. And you know, I asked him the question. Well, John. Do people look at the like the one bar that was in debt almost a million dollars? A pirate bar. Yeah. Do they look at that and just it's just numbers on paper? And he was like, Yeah, apparently they don't really look at it. I mean, if you had a million dollars in cash sitting, you know, in front of you, what would you do with it? Or would you care if you lost it all? Yeah. Well, of course you would. So if they see it just on paper. Right, you know, because we often said, for example, because you you see those scenarios and on, especially on bar rescue all the time, because yeah, they, right. they say, and when we started the bar for the first year, mm-hmm. we were pulling in five thousand dollars profit a month, mm-hmm. and now we're losing ten thousand dollars a month. Right, three years later. Right. Okay, but there was a Did, there, huge there was a period between period there. in between there. Yeah, yeah. Right. So right. you were making five thousand a month. Didn't you think about hiring right. somebody who could help that situation right. that was going on? But or? you were. Profit was five thousand a month. Yeah. Then it went down to four. Right. By the time you got down to three, weren't you panicking that something had to be done? Right. Why did you wait 
until you were losing ten thousand dollars exactly. a month. Exactly. And they never answer those questions on I want those questions answered on Bar Rescue. John Taffer, we want the answers. Well, and I, I, I don't I don't want to get mad at right. me though, because I don't want him to scream at me. I, right. He'll come I, in here and scream and I'd probably start crying. But we would get some upgrades in our studio. A new Studio bike. Rescue. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> studio Rescue. We'll put a refrigerator and a Viking oven in. Uh so just give me a new computer. That's my question about those those banks. Because if you think about the types of banks we're talking about and and who the clientele were, Mike, and this is just a question. I'm not making any accusations. Is it generational? Is it uh, isolated to that sector, the tech sector, the um, crypto coin sector, which there was a ton of exposure that uh, Signature Bank had to crypto? But is it that you see these numbers and you really and you really don't understand how banking works? Is it that you? It's not that hard. It, it shouldn't. You, it you, shouldn't be. You. you get, but if you if you've never learned it, is there something you know in in that equation where? Yeah, well, you know, it sounded like a good idea at the time, right? But okay, we've got this. We got this bank, and we're and they did a ton of business. But how do you not see the red flags along the way? That was our question right off the bat. How didn't you know this? Where were the warning signs? You know, six months ago, where were the warning signs? Where where was the concern from? You know, and especially after Dodd-Frank's passed and, you know, banks were required to put more of their assets into, you know, or, or more of their cash, whatever, into safe assets, mm-hmm. which is exactly what a lot of them did, which was long-term bonds and treasury bills that were paying no interest that would eventually lead up to this problem when interest rates went up. Mm-hmm. Were the I have to ask the question. The San Francisco Fed or any federal regulators, were they so accustomed to low interest rates that they believed that would continue forever because they believed the federal government could control that interest rate, therefore could control, wow, talk about, they say nationalizing the, uh, who was it, uh, the guy from Shark Tank saying that basically it was a policy nationalization of of banks. But did that not exist before? If you were if you were dependent, if the banks were dependent, like SVB, on the interest rates being kept low because they'd been kept low for such a long time, near zero, and did everybody believe, even in the San Francisco Fed or any regulator monitoring them, there's not going to be a problem because we're never going to raise interest rates again? I, I know it sounds stupid. I'm... Like, I'm simplifying it, well, no, but I what's mean, the other answer to get to that point? I've been saying for a long time that the that many people believe that we would be at zero interest rates forever. forever. They were behaving as if they believed that. Why would you ever increase them? That would be the case. That, 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 that would be the question. Well, let's say, I don't know, hypothetically, that we get into something and then the government decides that they're going to spend like they've never spent before 
and it drives up massive inflation. Really, the only move there would be the Fed to come in and drive up interest rates. But that'll never happen. <laughs> what are you talking about? Some kind of pandemic? What have you been? What have you been smoking weed? What, what are you? What are you? Gonna, you're just going to make it? Oh, okay, yeah. No, no. Well, let's go even further. That the government will basically shut everything down, and everybody will start working from home. And I mean, overnight, they'll start working from home, and then it will just. And then the government will just spend. Trillions and trillions of okay, fine, yeah. If you want to live in fairy tale land, then maybe that will happen. By the way, I need to correct myself because I keep saying Franks instead of Frank. Right. Yeah. And yeah. And there's only there, one Barney. There's Frank. only one. I, I'm scaring people not because I got the name wrong, but they might be under the assumption there are two Barney Franks. Right. There's apparently an unknown Biden, but we don't know of oh, an unknown Frank. A mysterious Biden. Mysterious. That's right. There is by, a. By they're, the way, they're calling it the mysterious Biden. Have you heard about the mysterious Biden? Now, is that anything like dark Biden? Remember that, <laughs> right? Mysterious Biden. Dark, mysterious dark Biden. Yeah, we'll have this story for you coming up next. Eight six six ninety red eye. Well above normal mountain snowpack totals in the Sierra Nevada range this winter. That should be a main reason behind the end of long-term drought in California, as its reservoirs fill with water this spring and summer. Yet USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey says there is a concern in the higher elevations where all this snow is accumulating. It does cause some serious problems for snow loads. Meaning? A lot of the roofs and houses in this year in Nevada are built to withstand that type of snow because they have very sharp or pitched roofs so the snow slides off. But in some of the areas where the roofs are flatter, warehouses come to mind, that does create a problem because the snow loads, especially if you get heavy rain or wet snow on top, that already existing snow load that does cause some structure collapses and we have been hearing some of that in southern california where they're a little less accustomed to heavy snow than what we've seen in the sierra nevada i'm rod bain reporting for the u.s department of agriculture in washington dc this report is made possible by cenex roadmaster xl premium diesel and sitco lubricants we'll be right back with more red eye radio with eric harley and gary mcnamara And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just something I've noticed, bargain hunting is back. I mean, bargain hunting's always been around. We always love a great deal. But man, everywhere you look, people are bargain hunting. You know, there's so many great ways to find great deals. Hey, I have a great find in your bargain hunting journey. Book online at motel6.com. Use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a price that's a real bargain when you use the code CPREDEYE. That's the letters CP Red Eye, all one word, for 15% off your stay at motel6.com. That is a bargain. That's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about 
how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. It's Red Eye Radio. He is here, Carly, and I'm Gary McNamara. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, it was just how you said it when I said uh, the mysterious Biden, and you said, is this like the dark Biden? <laughs> it's a different, because <laughs> Joe Biden was the dark Biden. Yes, this is apparently somebody different. Mysterious, and it's not Hunter, surprisingly. It, right, and a, a mysterious, and I just love how this is written. <laughs> A from the Breitbart wrote it this way: a mysterious and previously unreported Biden family <laughs> member exists. Okay, who received right. a cut from the family's business activities? It's not with it. It's not Jim. It's not anybody we know of. That no, they're implying no, not either the two brothers or Hunter. No, right. But received a cut from the family business activities with an entity linked to the Chinese Communist Party. House Oversight Committee Chair James Comer has revealed he recently obtained access to the Biden family's suspicious activities reports from the Treasury Department that showed the Biden family business received a $3 million suspicious wire transfer (laughs) from an entity tied to the Chinese Communist Party in early 2017, a month after he was out of the White House. Yeah. The suspicious activity report revealed the payment was initially sent to the Biden's business associate, Rob Walker, who has described himself as someone who has generally been acting as a surrogate for Hunter around the country and abroad pursuing opportunities. On Tuesday, Comer said three Biden family members took a cut of the $3 million payment, including a new Biden family member who has been previously unknown to investigators. This is known as the mysterious Biden. There were three different Biden family members that received a cut from that three million, including a new Biden family member that's never before been included in any of these investigations, Comer told Fox News. So our question is, what exactly did they do to receive that money? What was the purpose of that $3 million wire? Here's my question. Is it possible that it's not an unknown Biden, but an alias? Could be. The identity of the third Biden is unknown. Speculation has swirled. The individual could be Sarah Biden, who was married to the president's brother, James Biden. A 2020 Senate report on the Biden family business indicates Sarah was involved in receiving payments from China. That is mysterious. 
also be hilarious if the president walked out wearing a fake mustache and a monocle today. Hello. No, but you think about it. You know, I just thought about this now, though, because we we know that the family has enriched itself. But when you think about it, if you've got remember, there's 150 mm-hmm. of these reports, these suspicious activity reports. Right. 150. We had the caller from a former banker the other day that said, you hardly ever do this, but when you do it, it's serious. You no, it's suspect, very serious. Yeah, you suspect Large that something's wrong. Large amounts of cash right. or something going in uh, but, that's not a wire but, transfer but or you, something. You think about that itself. If you can, you if you have the flow chart of that and you present that to the American public, this came from this Chinese company, and then you had the tentacles going to everybody in the Biden family, that looks horrible there's no other way there's no other way to look at that especially mm-hmm. if it came from a chinese entity with close ties to the chinese communist party i would love to know uh how many of those sar reports uh from the banks include large cash uh, were were these the type of report that's and, and you do issue a sar report for a large cash deposit because the bank basically wants to cover its trail too they or their backside right you know that okay look we we got this but they don't want to ever be accused of facilitating like illegal behavior right uh so even some of the large banks have actually changed who can deposit cash into someone else's account actually i think chase it is that has the policy that like if you wanted to, if you owed somebody money, you couldn't just drop off a hundred dollar bill and say put this in their account. You would have to have. They want a check. They want a document, so they can monitor every level of activity and make sure that they're showing authorities we don't participate in anything that looks nefarious. They because want, if they're right, they it, don't want to be a dark, mysterious bank. <laughs> a dark, mysterious bank that's across the street. <laughs> <laughs> they're a local bank, so you know. Fourth branch of government, Eric Harley and Gary McNamara on Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690 uh, Red Eye. You know, we talked yesterday about Michael Schellenberger, uh, who, uh, who actually wrote an op ed piece about everything that he has had to go through, you know, being the Democrat journalist that he is, and just the pounding he took from Democrats last week. Uh, in uh, Racket.com, Matt Taibbi, who also, they were all part of the Twitter files, did the same thing. The Democrats' disastrous miscalculation on civil liberties. Americans have been told a dangerous and uncertain world requires stronger managers and less freedom. But the decline of civil liberties is what started this mess. Mm. And he goes through everything that he went through last week, which was just, I mean, it didn't work for the Democrats at all. No, no. He said... uh, the civil liberties have officially gone out of style, a phenomenon on full display 
at the weaponization of government hearing, which I just testified at. The circus-like scene featured a ranking member calling two journalists a, quote, direct threat. A Stanford-educated former prosecutor who confused accusation with proof and a Texas congressman, Colin Allrod, a Democrat, who proudly held up the results of an adjudicated criminal case to argue against due process in another arena. When I asked Allred's permission to point out that he just demonstrated that a proper form for dealing with campaign abuses already exists in the court system, he basically told me to shut up. No, you don't get to ask questions here. I then had to keep my mouth shut as an elected official shifted to dad mode to admonish me for taking off the tinfoil hat because there's not a vast conspiracy by what which he meant he uh uh which he meant he apparently my last three months of work Alred went on msnbc where my former friend chris hayes with a straight face suggested he didn't see a government angle in either the twitter files or our testimony both of which were more or less entirely about that issue. And Alred beamed in agreement. Wow. Uh, He also offered the ironic criticism that some people are stuck in an information loop in which you're not allowed outside information in. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Oh, wow. He goes, at the hearing, the words of the day were clearly cherry-picked money and Elon Musk. Nearly every question asked of Michael Schellenberger and me involved our associations or motives. Florida's Debbie Wasserman Schultz said, (laughs) being a Republican witness certainly casts a cloud over your objectivity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In parentheses, only a Democrat witness can be trusted. While Dan Goldman tweeted that only someone who signed his version of a loyalty oath, a question about whether or not we agreed with Robert Mueller's two indictments of Russian defendants, can belong in the public conversation. Hmm. If you don't agree with them, I'm telling you, they were just nuts. No, seriously. These are behaviors that we associated with Republicans in the war on terror years when Democrats howled over accusations that John Kerry looked French, that the roles have been reversed as old news. But the big question is, why did this happen? In the coming days, you're going to see a new release of Twitter files material about the creation of a multi-agency working group to address what experts described as vaccine disinformation Hmm. and misinformation. And he goes on to talk about everything that's still going to be coming up with the, the the all uh, the vaccine uh, mandate, but he just goes on. It's it's a pretty long. I can't read the whole thing. It's a pretty long uh, article. He said the campaign against information in this way that we have seen has become the proxy for a war against civil liberties that probably began in 2016 when the reality of Donald Trump winning the Republican nomination first began to spread through the intellectual class. Mm. There was a crucial moment in May of that year when Andrew Sullivan published Democracies End When They Are Too Democratic. Remember, understand, Matt Taibbi is a liberal Democrat who believes in journalism. Right. You know, we've seen this before. Schellenberger, the same thing. 
much like Bernard Goldberg when he wrote the book Bias 20 years ago, over 20 years ago. Right. And, yeah, well, and, you can't be friends, as, as Taibbi writes. Mm. You know, his former friend, Chris, or his former colleague and friend, I think they're still friends, you can't be a friend of Chris Hayes and not be a liberal. Right. It's against the law. These are the things that, but the left will now, of course, it's just like, you know, um, my gosh, Bernard Goldberg and and, and how many uh, Democrats and liberals over the years that just applied critical thinking and were, or in this case, we're going to do honest journalism. And then all of a sudden, you're Hitler. All of a sudden, you're a Republican witness. Well, the fact of the matter is, either the stuff they're reporting is true or not. It's one way or the other. But when it is true, then, of course, what do you do? You go after, like the left did last week, you go after them. You go after the source or the the person, which, speaking of sources, tell us your source. You need to tell us your source. Freedom of the press doesn't apply because you're the enemy now. You know, the way he ends it, though, is the perfect reason why we have freedom of speech. As he writes here, making a furious public less visible does not make it go away. Right. Moreover, as we saw at the hearing, clamping down on civil liberties makes obnoxious leaders look more conspicuous, not less. Yeah. Democrats used to understand this, but now they are betting everything on the blinders they refuse to take off, a plan everyone but them can see will not end well. You know, well, that's the whole thing, you know, the... And totalitarian societies, you know, a lot of times believe that. If if we clamp down, you know, if we if we just don't give information out, yeah. if we if we censor the information, it doesn't get out there. I go back to my old tenth grade um, uh, tenth grade uh, social studies teacher, who used to go over all the time to the former Soviet Union. And he went over there not because he was a communist. I want to make it clear. (laughs) He was anything but a communist. But they had, you know, uh, they had a bunch of different conferences over there. And he told us they used to sneak in American publications all the time to give to the Russian colleagues Mm -hmm. to read. Right. Because there was a great thirst for it. Right. And I go back to uh, my my, uh, old Iranian friend who came here at a very young age. I'm going to guess she's probably about 30 now. Hmm. When I met her, she was probably about 20 or 21. And she had come over when she was 18. It was, you know, she had, uh, her grandparents were over here. So she had a very limited window to come over. So she left everything behind for the United States for freedom. Yeah, right. And I asked her the first time I, you know, said, look, I want to ask, you mind if I get really blunt with you? And I've told the story before, but I think it's an important story to understand. I said, can I get really blunt with you? She goes, yeah, ask me anything. I said, does part of you hate the United States? And I figured she'd get mad, and she burst out laughing. She goes, no. I, 
goes, no, I love the United States. That's why I'm here. All right, what about all your friends? He goes, no, we all love the United States. Yeah. And I said, well, then what do you see as the problem? Do you see the problem in Iran as the fault of the United States? And she said, I'll never forget this. And I had always remembered this exactly the way the quote was. No, it's our stupid government and our stupid religion, end of quote. That was a quote from her. And I went, well, how do you know what's going on? She said, because we have enough of the Internet where we know what's going on. Yeah. And there's that great thirst for that knowledge, for that information. And so the Democrats' belief, this is the thing that really is, you look at it and you go, they really do live in a delusional state. Their belief that they can censor the truth. They may have success. They may look at it and say, well, we succeeded because Trump isn't president. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and, and uh, you, know, uh, you know, because the, the Biden stuff wasn't released. Right. You know, uh, but the fact is now the public's on to them. They know that it's the Democrats that wish to censor. Everybody knows this. Every Democrat listening right now knows it's a Democratic Party that wishes to censor the truth. Mm-hmm. They know it. But the fact is you can't hide it. You know, even as recently as 2020, I remember going into that election, people would call us and say, well, they're hiding everything. I said, they can only hide it. They can't hide it as long anymore. And once the public becomes completely suspicious, the avenues are there to find the truth. They may have gotten away with it for a while, Mm -hmm. but you're not going to get away with uh, with not uh, you're not going to be able to stop information in our modern society from getting out there. And you you can see it by. You know, when even before the Twitter files came out, the public knew the polls showed the public knew that they were censoring. Sure. Sure. Public already knew that. Yep. And all all the major issues out there, the public really knows what's going on. Even if it's not being covered in the mainstream media, they still know. Yeah. And I think that's what Taibbi is trying to say, that these people are really foolish. They really believe that they can do that. And this is a winning. They believe it's a winning strategy. The public's already against it. They know what they're doing. And they continue to want to do more of it, mm-hmm. and they believe that it's a winning strategy somehow. Right. You know, no, it's, it, it, it really is, you know, like I said, it, it's really the delusional state of a ton of things that we've talked about, whether it's, you know, we can run the, the, the world on wind and solar yeah. or that uh, reparations of $5 million isn't going to cause any financial hardship. Well, we're not, we're just not dealing with reality or the financial implications here. We just want to live in our little dream world that it's become a complete dream world for liberalism and specifically the Democratic Party, which is the promoter of liberalism, radical liberalism. Because if you want to look at liberalism of the 60s, it's a lot different than the liberalism of the Democratic Party right now. Well, and, and that's it. it there, are, there are things where you, it, it, they, you seemingly can't explain why they're doing what they're doing politically, but they can't either. And I really believe part of it is that the the generation of liberals that came before them were talking about the abstract. And then all of a sudden, today's liberal is putting all those abstract ideas and discussions into motion. And then they're looking back at the other, you know, liberals that came before them. Wait a minute, guys, where's the playbook? How's this supposed to work? You guys said wind and solar would work. Well, you guys said fighting for this would work, hmm. that we could do this. This is why they they don't it's like they have it's like it's a broken compass that they have no direction 
whatsoever, even politically, they're lost. I, I also think one of the problems they have is Democrats now realize you see it that if you, you know, because I think a lot of Democrat voters don't agree with where the party is, that it's too radical. Yeah. And now yeah, what yeah. they're seeing is if you publicly come out, they will destroy your life. Right. That they actually don't believe in the way that you believe. You're, and, and I think that's starting to affect Democrats and probably Democrat independents, independents that lead Democrat, understanding yeah. I'm not safe. Well, because I'm not safe if I want to speak exactly. the way that I, I wish to speak as a Democrat. It's not just liberal journalists that are asking questions like Matt Taibbi. It's many of the Democrat rank and file that are asking yep. questions. And while they're not out there in the forefront and in the media like that, there's no doubt that they're kind of rethinking and asking a ton of questions about the agenda on the left. 86690 Red Eye. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Harley, and uh, I'm Gary McNamara. Wow. Yeah, where will we be next week? Oh my with gosh, the, uh, with the whole banking thing. Well, and it, uh, it just—it seems to just—you know—it's it, only been a week, but I keep thinking it's Friday. It's only Thursday. Yeah, but what's going to happen today and tomorrow uh, on this, and then we as we go into uh, uh, next week because um, I saw the the stock market futures a couple hours ago were up. I don't know if they're right. st- if they're yeah. still up now, mm. but you just wonder where this is all heading. And then the Fed next week. Yeah, Fed next week. Are they? They're not going to raise interest rates because of this when we see, obviously, that inflation, core inflation is going back up. So it's not under control, inflation. I could see Powell doing a 0.25. That would be the safe move. That would be the, well, or whatever that means, or it would be the move in the middle, right? (laughs) It would be the, okay, we're not going to keep it here, but we're not going to take it as high as we would have before the bank failures. When you take the percentage out of it and you look at the actual prices of things that people buy, there is nothing close to being relief. No, no, no. And I, I've been saying, hes I don't think he's serious about getting on top of inflation anyway. So a 0.25, meh. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> 
Those Weekend Golf Guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.